0: Welcome to the Fourth Estate Podcast. It may be only February, but I have hands down already found one of my favourite books of the year. Like Nora Ephron meets Bridget Jones by way of Me Cheater, Single Carefree Mellow is everything I imagined it would be and then some. Allow me to introduce you to its author, the incredibly witty, at times irreverent, and always charming Catherine Heine. Though her stories have already been published in venerable makers of taste, The New Yorker and The Atlantic, her voice feels utterly new heart disarming, so spot on, and she is definitely here to stay. No one has ever said the word kitten with such disdain. So, Catherine um, Heiny, lovely to be talking to you, and uh, congratulations on the uh, very soon-to-be-published-in-the-UK single Carefree Mellow selection of stories. Um, and uh, wondering what the time scale of you writing these is, Um, In other words, when did you start the first one um, and finish the last one? Um, And I'm I'm wondering if anything kind of changed significantly over that period of time. Did you get married? Did you have children? Did you move city or the kind of wider society? How much did things change and and does your writing reflect that?
1: Um, Well, the oldest story in the collection is How to Give the Wrong Impression, Mm. which I wrote when I was in graduate school. And Um, which, I'm sorry to tell you, was 25 years ago. (laughs) And and the most recent story is The Rhett Butler's, which I wrote um, last Christmas really frantically. It was the last story added to the collection. I really wanted them to hold space for it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, everything changed in those 25 years. I got married. I had two really high-maintenance children. (laughs) I moved so many times. Um, um, I mean, I I moved from New York to London Mm -hmm. to Washington, to back to London, and then to the Netherlands, and then Mm -hmm. back to Washington. And a bunch of times I moved within cities, too. So, um, but through all that, I don't think my voice has changed a lot. Maybe I'm just immature, (laughs) but...
0: Definitely not. It doesn't,
1: it doesn't seem to me um, the older stories in the collection don't seem to me really to have been written by a, a much younger version of myself. I'm still familiar with the the feelings that I had when I wrote
0: them. Mm. Mm. It's also interesting that you say that the um, the red Butler's was uh, the last one that you wrote because that's obviously the, the kind of the female protagonist in it is is the youngest of of all the mm. characters, I guess. Um, which which character do you think you identify most with?
1: Um, I think probably most, I'm most identify with Sasha from the Dive Bar, mm. um, partly because she's a writer mm. and she writes young adult fiction, which I did for about five years. And um, a lot of the other characters in the other stories are really self-deceptive, and I think that Sasha is just kind of a little bit clueless mm. and I think that that's i'm kind of that way I'm kind of a bewildered person
0: mm. so um Maya features um in three of the stories, and um I'm just wondering what drew you to her um, to make her the kind of the leading figure, the one that that takes us through that you know her narrative continues throughout the stories
1: well um the Maya stories were sort of hard for me to write because I always felt that um, Rhodes deserved better than Maya. Mm. Um, I started, I wrote the first story because my dog died and I wanted to write a story about that. And I thought nobody will read a story about a dog dying, so I have to put in mm. something else. So I decided, well, maybe she's facing a, a double loss, the dog and her relationship. Mm. And so I wrote that story. And then... About three days before, after I finished that story, sorry, this is so too much information. Oh my God, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I went to the gynecologist and he was just really kooky and weird. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write a story about a girl who has this doctor. Mm. And then I sort of realized the girl was Maya, that I had more things to say about her and her relationships, Mm. And so every once in a while i sort of cycle back to her and and write another story and there there are more stories about her that aren't in the book um she's she's very there's there's a tartness to her that i i enjoy mm
0: mm-hmm. and i i guess i mean would you call uh, her ending a, a happy one
1: um i think so yeah yeah um I mean, I think it's kind of about acceptance, and and she has to ict her relationship and and take the joy out of it that she can.
0: Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned that um you feel kind of similar to to Sasha in in different ways. Um, and in the same way that Sasha ends up with her uh, light bright cubbyhole, hole. Um, is, do you have somewhere special that you write? Is there is there a place that you always go to?
1: Um, Well, I have an office, but it's the opposite of light and bright. um, I used to have this very nice office on the main floor of our house, and then downstairs we had this little cubbyhole where my sons were supposed to do their homework. But they went down there every night, and they threw, rolled up balls of paper at each other, (laughs) and goofed off and never did any homework. So we had to bring them upstairs where we could sort of keep an eye on things. So now I write in the like windowless, you know, playroom in our basement. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's kind of nice cuz my previous office was right off the kitchen and everyone could pop in. Yeah. every 2 seconds and ask me, you know, where the potato chips were. So this is I get a little more done, but it's not as pretty.
0: Mm mm-hmm. oh, we, we've had some writers writing in some great place. One of my favorite ones is um an author Ian Sampson, he writes in like a uh, a disused bookshop storage room that's above a kind of Mexican takeaway in Belfast it all sounds um very very bizarre with peeling wallpaper um so it's yeah it's always very interesting to find out and do you have a a, a kind of a, a schedule or a routine that you go through do you find you write better at a certain time of day
1: um if it doesn't get done in the morning it's in real danger of not getting done
0: mm.
1: I'm low energy person, very short work day, um, I'd be like a horrible doctor. I could never, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a 36-hour shift. I'd be like, wait, I need to go to bed. <laughs> um, I can't do, I think if you write more than like two or three hours, you, you maybe you're doing more harm. You start to sort of blither along. Mm. Um, so I tend to do a couple of really strong hours in the morning and then I come back to it. I do more editing in the afternoon I guess, more writing in the Mm.
0: morning. Mm. And uh, quite a few of the, well uh, all of the stories um, are pretty, not brutal I feel like brutal is the wrong word, but quite like you know, kind of not, there's no like beating around the bush or sugarcoating it. They're quite like these characters are quite upfront, and they're very very honest even if they're not really honest with themselves kind of internally they're honest about what they're doing about who they're in love with who they're having sex with who they're cheating with cheating on um and I'm just wondering if if at any point uh your husband worried you know shit do these things come from personal experience um and then I'm wondering if any of them do come from personal experience or you know your friend's experience or is it just kind of a i don't know
1: um well, first of all, my husband never reads fiction except for mine. <laughs> okay. And he always reads books on, like, you know, foreign policy or military history. Mm. And, um, and he helps me a lot. Like, I, I, he works with me a lot on the plots and the characters and stuff. And mm. when I was writing Blue Heron Bridge, he was like, oh, I want the, the husband in this story to be older and British and a mathematician and I was like everyone's gonna think that's you <laughs> and he, he was like why why would they think that like he doesn't he doesn't transfer anything from fiction yeah. to real life um and you know he he thinks that my stories are the best stories he's ever read which might be true because I'm not sure he's ever read short stories <laughs> like anybody else but so he's like the perfect first reader and and the perfect plot consultant and the perfect husband. I'm just, I'm just really so lucky.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, as and to the second question, yeah, there's there are a lot of things in the story either happened to me or happened to friends, and it's um, something that I find very satisfying as a writer is to be able to take something that's true and put it in a narrative where it takes on. A totally new meaning, um, like in the Rhett Butler's the story where the, the girl has an affair with her high school teacher. Mm. Um, there was a kid who rode his motorcycle around our court all the time to try to get the attention of this one girl mm. and so I put it that in the story, but when it became the sort of skeezy teacher doing it, it took on a whole sinister level and yeah. I really enjoyed doing that yeah so yeah a lot of things are are true
0: and is Maya based
1: sorry go ahead no sorry um is is Maya
0: based on on anyone that you know is you know in one person in particular or is she a kind of amalgamation of of lots of different people
1: she's probably more an amalgamation than any other character in there okay I
0: think Mm. um and a lot of the men um could be called um fairly insipid not many of them um uh, with exceptions are particularly uh inspiring and i'm wondering if this is something that you just happened because of the way the stories were evolving or, or did you kind of try to purposefully uh, shift the balance of, of perception
1: usually in every story there's a very strong character and then the other characters um um are a foil to that character or sure. revolve around that character. And since these stories are all told by women, it just happens that the women are strong and the men are, are more foils for that. Mm-hmm. There's, um, you know, in, in Blue Heron Bridge, I really struggled because the main character is having an affair with this man who's such a loser. Mm-hmm. It was very, like as a writer, I didn't want to give him any funny lines or any interesting things to say um, so that was kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that happens in, in in a couple of the stories that um, maybe where I feel the character is making a mistake to get involved with this person, then it's harder to portray that person.
0: Mm-hmm. But you say, um, or you, you said um, earlier that you feel like Rhodes, in a way, Maya doesn't really deserve Rhodes. Do you think he's kind of one of the... I know I guess one of the one of the male characters who's actually someone that you'd that you'd really want to root for and and really want you know things to turn out well for.
1: Mm-hmm. I think he's so smart and funny and laid back and forgiving and um he he seems to me like a nice person.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh does does he know that she's had an affair? I
1: think I think he knows. I, yeah. He might not know the extent of it, but, yeah, I think he knows something went on, mm. and he forgives her for it.
0: Mm. Yeah, I have to say, I love him as well. I have, like, such a clear image in my mind of him just kind of, like, being really, like, chilled out. And, oh, it's just so brilliant. Um, and as a, bringing it to the, bring your writing to um, a wider sphere, uh, as a woman author, do you feel um, patronised or ever discriminated against? I'm just wondering what American literary circles kind of can be like uh for female authors
1: well um i mean i've always gotten rejection letters that that i mean i get normal rejection letters too but i there are a certain percent of the rejection letters i got where they said oh this story is lively or this story is cute or <laughs> you write prettily." <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Would they write that to a man? Not in a million years. Mm. Um and I'm like, why if you're gonna reject the story, can't you just reject it without it, giving me some like belittling girly comment? Um, you know, plus they're stories. They're not kittens. I don't think it's <laughs> like cute, lively thing. <laughs> yeah. um, um, as for wider, like, American literary circles. Um, I mean, there's this whole "chicklet" thing, which I find to be, you know, the worst, mm-hmm. most obnoxious phrase since post-nasal drip or something. Yeah. Like, I can't even think of oh, a yeah. phrase is bad enough. And it really makes me wonder. I mean, "chicklet" sort of, that phrase came along, what, in the 90s or maybe two mm-hmm. thousand. But I wonder, like, if Anne Tyler had been started writing in the 90s, would she have been classified as chick lit, and mm. we would have all missed her brilliance? Yeah. And she would have never been taken seriously? I don't know.
0: Mm. Do you feel like, um, I mean, there's an amazing, you know, beaming quote um, from Lena Dunham on, on the front. Um, it's, I mean, it's a wonderful quote, I've, yeah. But do you feel like with um, this is kind of a good time, um to be writing about and exploring uh, women's um, interior lives, which is something that Lena Dunham mentions, you know, praises your book for, is that it's it's really giving a voice to that, um, which is something that's not, that still, you know, feels like we still have to work really hard for that to be the case, for that to be, you know, the norm, for that to be what people expect.
1: Well, I think that any good fiction really shows you the interior life mm. of somebody I mean fiction is really all about getting in somebody's head and understanding somebody else mm. I guess I didn't really think about whether it was a man or a woman
0: that's I mean that's kind of wonderful it's like I don't know I just I I've I wonder sometimes if if there would be a huge difference between you know me saying so who's your favorite author and then you know who, who's your favorite male author or who's your favorite female author It kind of I wonder if, if we're ever gonna to get to that stage where it's just, you know, your author, it's not it's not either sex.
1: Um, did you read about that whole kerfuffle on Wikipedia last year?
0: Oh no. Oh probably no, possibly not. Which one?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> that um, now I can't really remember the details. But it was basically Wikipedia was you know, because they do lists. Yeah. They were listing authors. And then they were listing female authors. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah, and people began calling them out on it, and they got really angry. And then they sort of went back retroactively and and changed everything. I mean, it was this this big, you know, hoo ha. Yeah. Um, which was really shocking to me because I kind of thought we were past that. Yeah. I mean, didn't J.K. Rowling sort of level the playing field in a lot of ways?
0: Mm-hmm. Um.
1: Evidently
0: not. Yeah. It was so interesting, um, when um uh the Robert Galbraith novels, when it was kind of, you know, revealed that they were written by J. K. Rowling and there was all this kind of excitement and and people rustling about trying to find sentences that proved that, that the author was a woman, um and, and not a man, you know, we must have known all along because of the syntax of this and that. Quite extreme. Not even necessarily saying like, Oh, you know, we can tell it's J. K. Rowling, just tell that, you know, that we can tell it was a woman. Um, which was, oh, yeah, <laughs> slightly, yeah, worrying. But, um, I mean, it's kind of in a... You no, know,
1: now that we've talked about it, I want to submit a story somewhere under a man's name and see if I get, like, a whole different species of rejection letter.
0: Please do. <laughs> oh. I wonder. Or, like, I don't know. Or, you know, on the plus side, gets accepted and... I know. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, what would you... Do you think... The protagonist, just like off the top of your head, do you feel like the protagonist would be a woman or a man, or would it be third person?
1: Um, I don't know. It's, I really I thought of this idea like five seconds ago, so <laughs> I haven't even <laughs> considered what story it will be. But yeah. Wow, what a good experiment. Yeah,
0: you should definitely do that. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of the same. And in the same way that people talk about um, America being, you know, post-racial, I mean, it it seems like we're not in a post-racial society. You know, you think of like Ferguson um, and we're not in a post-sex or post-gender society. And I'm wondering if you think that's something that we should be striving for. And do you think positive discrimination in that, you know, for that cause actually is a positive thing? Or should we be kind of just trying to blanket out any differences?
1: Well, I think that we should be striving for for no discrimination, Mm. you know, positive or otherwise. But that's so far from the reality of, you know, now I feel like I'm a Miss World contestant talking about ending world hunger or, (laughs) you know... so you know, it's a fantasy.
0: Yeah, it's so um, removed.
1: But, but yeah, that's that's what I would hope for is is the sort of post discrimination world. Mm.
0: And in in terms of the um, the Sandberg slaughter um, debate, I guess from last year, but that's obviously still very pertinent um, about women in the workplace and, and leaning in. Um, what do you what are your thoughts uh, on that? Well. I think that the, the
1: work-life-family balance is the hardest thing to do for anybody, mm. male or female. Um, I mean, my husband traveled extensively when my children were babies, and that was really hard for him. He missed a lot, and it was, you know, it it broke his heart. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and my mother always said when I was growing up, you know, you're so lucky you can have it all you can work you can have a family you can do anything you want Mm -hmm. and then when my first son was born and she saw how I was really sleep deprived and I wanted to be with my baby all the time but I also wanted to write but there was no creative energy to write and and she actually said I was wrong nobody can have it all Mm -hmm. and I feel I feel bad that I told you that um and that was that was really interesting to me Mm -hmm. although I do feel like being a writer and being able to stay home with my children and also write, I feel like I do have it all, so I feel like I'm really lucky. Mm -hmm. But I did have to put it on hold for for a long time. Mm
0: -hmm. And I, I guess it's also just one of those things where you know, as you said, a, a male—you know—a male author's rejection letter would never describe his his writing as lively and pretty. Um, it, it's it's kind of a question that's never really asked of men. You know, can men have it all? I don't know whether that's oh. because it's assumed that they can, or I, I don't know. I'm you know, I don't even know or where we. Or is
1: assumed that they just don't even worry about it? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Maybe exactly. it's
1: actually a slam toward men thinking well, what man feels conflicted?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And I just want to talk about the um, epigraph a little bit, the Paul Simon quote, which is just one of my favorite song lyrics ever. Um, I was so happy when I I first opened the script, and I was like, oh, my God, yes. Um, So just uh, tell me, is that something that, is that a very personal quote to you? Um,
1: It is. I mean, I love Paul Simon, and I love that whole album, Mm. but... um, to me that quote is well i guess it's it's very indicative about falling in love in general but it's i think even of more indicative of falling in love when you're very young it's like well you may not feel you can love me but you know i think you can it's like totally ignoring the other yeah. person <laughs> and and being like well because i want this so much um it it just kind of i thought it was a really neat way to encapsulate like the power of falling in love with someone
0: mm. yeah and and the um i guess just the the two-sidedness um of it as well and and not just the two-sided in, in the fact that obviously there's going to be two people involved um but it just makes me think of um as another Um, amazing line in Single Carefree Mellow, so in the title story, Um, that the problem was, of course, that although Maya's heart heart was gone, that sometimes it came back. Um, And just that idea that, yeah, you know, every day, and and particularly with, with Maya, she's so conflicted, every kind of moment brings up a new, like, ah, like, am I feeling like this? Am I feeling like that? Like, yeah.
1: That's from a song also which is that Ingrid Michaelson song, which is called Once With Love. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a, a lyric, which is quoted in the story, about um, saying, sorry, but you just can't be here now that my heart is gone. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of took it another step and I thought, well, your heart can be gone, but it can come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I think relationships are so confusing. It's it's so seldom that you're just really clear-cut on something. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was that kind of gave me the the impetus for all the Maya stories because she goes back and forth constantly.
0: Yeah, and it's it's great to see that actually because uh, yeah, as you say, relationships aren't linear. Um, it's kind of rare that that they work in that in that really straightforward way. So it's 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 also great to, for me, that line kind of sums up that you know even if that moment comes where you feel like, oh you know maybe I don't maybe I'm not in love with this person. It also, that there's a kind of a positive side because it can come back, and it's never like I don't know. It's, it's, I love the ambiguity of it, I guess. It's very, very forgiving and feels very human as well.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and I love the way um, in a few of the stories, the voice is directed really clearly um, at you. So as you're reading it, you become the character completely, you know, your thoughts are. are um, are their thoughts, their thoughts, or your thoughts. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, was that a like, particular style kind of thing that you set out to do, or did it happen more organically with certain stories where you just felt like this one was a kind of like, um, like in a, that dance you do, you know, that's kind of that every woman thing?
1: Yeah, I I chose the second person for that story because... I thought it was a really universal experience, mm. or at mm. least I hoped it was, that everybody hated children's birthday parties.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> and weird creepy clowns. I think that's um, <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely um, universal.
1: I really like the, the second person because I think it allows you a lot of freedom with the, the narrative distance. Like You can have all this distance where you're sort of instructing the reader saying, you go on a date, you put on your makeup, you know, very generic things, and then with no warning, you can zoom in really close and say, you know, you would never date a man who wears a Speedo, or mm. some, and it's almost like the author's kind of reaching out to touch the, the reader at that moment, like they're very close, and then you can pull back. Um, I think with with any other point of view, you have to be much more consistent, or it's, it's really irritating to the reader. Mm. So I sort of like the freedom of the second person, and I also think that there are a lot of lines that are funny in the second person that wouldn't be funny in any other person. But I also think that that a little bit goes a long way. Yeah. And, like, I hesitated to put three stories in. I thought that might be pushing it, but I liked all three, so we kept them in. mm
0: And do you have any kind of major influences or or living writers that you um, really admire at the moment?
1: Um, I love Stephen King. Mm. I think that he's so smart and so talented and so diverse and, you know, I just think that he's, he's like somebody, a visitor from a more advanced race, like he's, Superman he was here as a baby and yeah <laughs> but then of course maybe he just like works harder than the rest of us but, um, um, I I very much admire Ann Tyler mm-hmm. um, and Nick Hornby is one of my favorite writers mm-hmm. and in fact when I first moved to London in 1997 the first two books I read were High Fidelity and Bridget Jones's Diary. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I was like, Great time I'm gonna for I'm going to love it. living here. This is the best place <laughs> in the world. Um, and actually going back to what we were talking about earlier, Bridget Jones's Diary was really inspiring to me because mm. it was this big hot book and, and a creation of total comic genius. Mm. But it's really just about this woman who obsesses about her weight and her clothes and her relationships and um the fact that that could be so relatable to so many people mm-hmm. that you you didn't have to write that a blockbuster could be about that it didn't have to be about you know i i don't even know what a war or spies or you
0: know, money I guess the more, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The
1: more traditionally male topics um it really, it really was inspiring to me. And it's such a great book. I've read it so many times.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I don't know, what do you think? Do you buy? I mean, I'm guessing you don't because of, of how how you clearly love it. Um, but the arguments that people are like, oh, you know, Brid- Bridget Jones as a character is so reductive towards women. She's she's just perpetuating the stereotype. It's all self-fulfilling and it's it's pigeonholing women just that one bit more. Um, I don't know, how, how do you feel about about that argument
1: well I guess I would say I disagree entirely yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean how could you read Bridget Jones's diary and not want to be her Mm. she's so witty she's so quick um although I guess you know my goal in life is to be like witty if that's not your goal then maybe you don't want to be her (laughs) um um you know, and the fact that she gives this, she she made up the term singleton, mm. and people are still using it. That seems to me like the opposite of reductive. That seems like she gave a name to something that needed a name, mm. and now we all use it.
0: Mm. Absolutely, and also gave a name to that other side of of, of you know womanhood, That's the, the post that yeah exactly <laughs> that oh my god you know God forbid you're you're still single and yeah exactly that she gives it like a personality rather than just you know, the horror that no one wants to talk about and no one wants to sit next to at the dinner party. Um, My last question on that note uh, is uh, which book do you wish you had written of all the books that have ever been written?
1: Oh, wow. That might be Gone with the Wind. Mm. That's my favourite book. Um, um, But really there are so many. Um, isn't this awful? So many so many so much work I would like to claim claim credit for. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> The Accidental Tourist by Ann Tyler is a mm. really perfect novel. I think High Fidelity by Nick Hornby is amazing. Um I yeah, I don't know. I'm a big I reread a lot. Mm. So when I really like something then I'll read it again for comfort. Mm. it's like comfort eating I do comfort reading
0: Mm, I do that I I, yeah I used to reread Harry Potter when I was at school in America because I missed kind of like English things (laughs) um so is Gone with the Wind the book that you've probably reread the most
1: I used to read it once a year Mm. and then I felt like that was too much, like I was failing to appreciate it. So now I read it maybe once every three years or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't even get me started on Gone with the Wind. I'm so crazy about it. <laughs> so much into it.
0: <laughs> Well, maybe that's um, a good time to leave it. Um, well, thank you so much, Catherine, for, for talking thank to you us. So much. And um, thank yeah, congratulations you. again on such a wonderful, funny and poignant book.
1: Well, thank you very much.
0: Single Carefree Mellow is published by Fourth Estates on Thursday, the 12th of February. Available in trade paperback, ebook, and downloadable audio. Thank you for listening.